Well, we've been teaching, this is week number four, and I still don't have a title for it, like I've said each week. I've thought of calling it Fishers of Men, uh, not Keepers of the Aquarium, but it sounds a little harsh, sort of, but it's growing. Uh, but so each week we've had titles. This week is called Join Yourself to That Chariot or This Chariot. And uh, turn with me, if you will, to Acts the 8th chapter. And we're going to look here at uh, really how the early church uh, reached the world and how they were so effective. And, uh, you know, we're what people would call a spirit-filled church, you know, a Bible-believing church. And so often in uh, a spirit-filled church or a Bible-believing church, and everybody says they're a Bible-believing church, but that means different things. But... Sometimes we just really need to get our heads back in the Bible and really look at some things because in a spirit-filled church, often people think, oh, God's going to do it all. There's going to be some big explosion and then people are going to run in the doors. And that can happen because it did happen in the Bible, but that is not the primary way it happened in reaching people. And so if you will, turn to Acts 8. And we're going to look at another incident that was documented about somebody coming to know the Lord personally. Acts the 8th chapter, and we'll begin reading in the 26th verse. It says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So it's probably somewhere near us, Phoenix. No, this is in the Middle East. But, but we've got desert here, you know. Don't you ever read desert scriptures and they kind of go, oh yeah, I know what they're talking about. When I lived in Southern California, I didn't understand. But here I do. He's traveling down a desert road. God directed him down this desert path. And, uh, you know, one thing about God leading us, sometimes, you know, you're not on a... Uh, pine crested you know path with rivers flowing uh, but he said go here it's interesting the first leading jesus had in his uh, being filled with the spirit and beginning toward ministry was to go by himself and go into the wilderness exciting you know Shouldn't I go where all the crowds are? His leading here is go down to this desert place. You know, if God's leading you, don't have your own expectations. Or why am I doing what I'm doing? Just follow him and it will turn out. God didn't tell him, hey, you go down this way and on the way something huge is going to happen that's probably going to have an influence on a, a nation or a group of people. Uh, just go. He He was what you would call at this point in his life, not in the full-time ministry. He was in what we would call a Christian, a believer. And so this angel spoke to him and, and told him to go down this way, and it's a desert place. Verse 27 says this, So he arose and he went. In other words, he just obeyed God. And obedience is a tremendous place to be. It's a fulfilling place. It, it can be a desert place, but it's a fulfilling place. Uh, you know, sometimes 
people don't really realize the value in simple obedience. There are tremendous things that happen there. I think sometimes in the society we live in, simple obedience is something to pick or choose. You know, you know, I can still serve the Lord and not do everything he deals with me about, but really you come into no man's land there and it becomes a frustrating place. You know, and God doesn't want believers to be frustrated, but believers can get frustrated because they get into no man's land. You know, they're, they're saved, but they're not where they ought to be. Uh, they're not living in the world. They just need to really make a commitment and obey. Are you with me? And, and you really don't need prayer that you would obey. You know, prayer for obedience is not good because you know what it is? It's if, if I pray, oh, Lord, help me to obey. Basically, what I'm saying is I really don't want to, so I'm putting it back on you to deal with me. Thank you for that, hitting the cymbal on the drums over there. And um, because people do that, you know, they just pray for me that I'll obey. And really, they don't need prayer. They just need to be willing. And the Bible said the people who are willing get the best. No. Those who are willing and obedient, they get to eat the good of the land. The good things start happening in their life. And people need to realize that because if we take and learn to take personal responsibility for our lives, it is so helpful. Are you with me? Because sometimes it's my mom or my dad or my uncle or the neighborhood I was raised in or what's happening currently or, you know, current situations. It's just better to not make excuses. And I'm not saying real things have not happened to people that have affected them. But hey, when we learn to take personal responsibility for our lives and our own actions, life becomes better. You know? Back in the 60s, it was it Sammy Davis Jr. came out with the statement, I believe it was, the devil made me do it. Well, the devil can't make us do nothing. Now, he'll encourage you. I guarantee that. He'll poke and prod, put thoughts in your head, but he can't make you do nothing. And so we can't blame it on anybody. Personal responsibility is huge. Now, it may be an escape thing now, but it won't be in the future, and it really doesn't help. And it is a good place to get to in your life where you just own up. You just own up. You know, there's an old saying, they say, you know, when you get up there, it's time to pony up. That means you have to pay. It's time for you to pay. It's time for you to do something. And there is a place in the Christian's life where it's just time to go, you know what? I've made a lot of excuses, uh, and I'm where I am because of me, and this is not God's design. He's got a tremendous design He's prompted me. He has dealt with me. And uh, I didn't want to go where he wanted me to go and do what he wanted me to do. That's good to say that. If it's true. It's not true for everybody, but for some Christians, it can be true. And then it's just good to be responsible and go, you know what? I'm done with that. I'm going to make a decision and I'm going to do it. And when you make the decision, just follow through no matter what the cost is. Amen. 
That is good right there. Because otherwise you'll still be in the same place. Remember the children of Israel? Uh, they were in Egypt. God didn't want them to be there. They were ruled over by a tyrant. And uh, life got harder and harder as they stayed there. And God said, I'm bringing you out. And, uh, you know, there was a time there that uh, the pressure started getting on the enemy who was holding them and, and uh, holding them. And the guy was like, okay, I'm going to let the people go. And, uh, and then he would back down and not do it. So God put these plagues and things on him. One day they had frogs. And he said, you know, he, he could alleviate the situation by just going, okay, I'm going to obey what you're telling me from God. And the guy said, nah, and he chose another day with the frogs. It was a plague. It wasn't one toad. I mean, it was not a good thing. But it was on him to respond and to obey and in his obedience, or at first his lack of obedience, it kept the problem there. And I'm telling you, God has great things in store. It, what if this guy had not followed? He would have missed out. And, you know, why go down to a desert path? Why go on this path? How about if I go around over here? And so, but we just need to obey. And that is for somebody. Everybody needs to obey, but there are some people who you go, you know what, if there's anything I came to hear this morning, it was that. We just need to take responsibility. Well, if you can't say amen, say oh me, because it's still true. Anyways, so verse 27, so he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. So this is a guy who's a high-ranking government official. He, he's on this path too. And uh, it says, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury. So this guy, this person is of great importance. And, and it said, and had come to Jerusalem to worship. This guy has a hunger for God. He doesn't really know the right things because he's actually following a system that is gone. He's uh, religious, but he's hungry for God. He's gone up to Jerusalem. The old way of worship for the Jews has ended but he has been inquiring of the Lord, so he makes this trip up there. And, uh, you know, God sees people and sees things. That's why our walk with God and being obedient is huge. I mean, massive. Because sometimes little things and little leadings have great opportunities along the way. But God doesn't always tell us about the great things and the great impact that's along the way. He just tells us, do this. Like with Peter, he didn't say, hey, if you will let me borrow your boat, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do for you. Okay, go ahead, because I'm not sure if I want you to use my boat. That's not what he said, 
But many people will say, well, I don't know if I want to do that. You know, I've been cleaning the nets. I've cleaned up the boat. And you want me to stop in the middle of my workday and launch out into the deep and, or launch out from the land and have you sit in the boat while I could be working and you're going to be preaching? So Peter didn't just push him out, tie him, and walk back up and keep working. He is out there in the boat with no promise of anything. But he was to obey and so when Jesus finished preaching, and I don't know that his sermons were all like 15 minutes long. You know, don't you think if Jesus was preaching, he might have been preaching for a while. And uh, I mean, and so he's preaching away. When he gets done, then he tells Peter, now I want you to launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But think about it. Why didn't he tell him that beforehand when he asked for some simple obedience. And when he asked for simple obedience to go down this one path, he had something designed because there might have been other paths to go. But I want you to go down this desert path and on this desert path, and I am convinced that God leads us as believers. But sometimes people have just gone, no, I'm not going to do that. That's such a small thing. I'm not going to do that. And I'm not talking about being weird and, you know, you know, doing weird stuff and becoming a weirdo, but I'm talking real genuine things the Lord deals with us about. And uh, there are supernatural encounters and things that will occur in our life in various ways. And here is one in particular. Two people are on a collision course. You know, sometimes just serving God, just, just being committed to serve God with your whole life, it gets you on the right path. I mean, I think about it, what if I would have never followed through with my commitment to the Lord? You know, how many lives would be lost or not affected? Just a simple thing of giving my life to the Lord and following through with that commitment. And it's true with everybody. You know, I remember one time being on an airplane and there was a, a lady sitting next to me and uh, she looked real put together and she was by the window. I was in the middle seat and she was, uh, seemed to be real gracious and she was, we, were, we started to talk and, you know, she said a couple things. If I told you what she said, you'd laugh. And um, uh, she said, are you like a model? I was younger. And, uh, or a football player, like professionally. I was like, I know I look like a professional football player. I was in better shape or a different shape. I like to say that. I was in a different shape. I worked out a lot then. But it's just a different shape, you know. And, um, right, a pencil is a different shape than a pumpkin. And it's just a different shape. And... And so I said, actually, you know, I'm a youth pastor. And she's like, a youth pastor? So I start talking to her. And, but this is just in the course of the Lord dealing with me to go to a meeting. And I'm on an airplane, and I'm sitting next to her. And so we start talking to her. I lead her to the Lord. And um, we get done, and she's like in tears. And I remember her just turning her head away from me and not looking at me and just staring out the window 
because we had to touch down and land. And I remember she just kept staring away from me and staring away from me. And she just turned back and said, with tears, said, everything looks different. Everything looks different. She said, everything out the window looks different. I remember when I got saved, the trees looked different. That's no joke. I remember thinking, everything is different. And, uh, but I was alive. And I was walking with God. And I remember after saying, you know, telling her to continue on, and she said, you know, she, so I said, well, what do you do for a living? She said, oh, I'm an anchor for Telemundo or whatever the Spanish-speaking station in Southern California. I was like, oh, well, I probably would have done better. No, but God had that plan. She said, I would like you to meet my boyfriend when, when we get to the airport. And I'm like, okay, that'll be nice. And so she said, here's the deal, though. You know, and she kind of coached me on it. She said, he's the ousted president of Peru. So I'm like, oh, you know. So I remember walking in the airport, and there's bodyguards around this guy, and he comes walking up, and I'm thinking, wow, you know, God knew. You know, and if we're willing, he'll get you by somebody who's hungry. If we're willing, he'll move to get you near somebody to help somebody. And I remember getting up to meet him, and, she, and she's like, oh, this is so-and-so. And he shook my hand and just turned away and was like, hi, and grabbed her and just walked away. And I went, okay, bye. You know, it wasn't that glamorous, but I thought, you know what? God has plans. God has plans for people. And, and here we see this man who's going down the path, traveling in life, and then there's this other guy coming who uh, is just hungry for the truth, but really not walking in it. And, and it says, uh, verse 28, let me go back and read 27. So he arose, went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge over the treasure of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship. And like I said, uh, he was obviously a religious person, had some kind of religious affiliation uh, in the Jewish faith, but he was not saved. And, and he did not know Jesus. I'm sure he knew about Jesus in some aspects, but he just didn't know. It's interesting to me, in life, we will encounter people who have religious ideas and, or spiritual ideas. I don't think we should down them. We should just recognize there's a hunger there. Let's direct them the right way. And, and, and I'm sure of this, that God will lead us if we would be open. And there are reasons that it is so desperate in God's eyes for obedient people because there is an enemy to the soul of man just like there is one who is for the souls of men, God, you know, and Jesus who died for them. But there is an enemy out there who would like to guide those people not to the truth because he wants them to stay in bondage. 
he, he would try to discourage a believer. You know, well, what will they think of you? They're probably already thinking it. Or maybe they're not, and maybe they wouldn't. But does it really matter? And uh, because there's an enemy who will send people to, to try to keep them trapped. But here this guy is, and it says that, uh, verse 28, he was returning from worshiping. This was the whole intent of his, of his travel, was to go worship. And he was sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. So I don't know what this chariot looked like. I mean, you know, when I was younger in the Lord, I had a little pocket testament, and I would drive and read it. Now, I'm not suggesting that. I don't do that anymore. Well, I'd be like, oh, look at that. And then, you know, I'm not saying doing that, but I don't know that he was doing that with the chariot, with the reins, you know, because this would have been scrolls back then, and he would have been there. Yeah, yeah, you know. It would seem maybe somebody else was with him or driving. And, um, you know, I don't think this was like an image of Ben-Hur. You know, he's got his own chariot, and he's rolling, and he's the driver and everything, and he's reading, you know, as he's going down the road trying to steer this thing. You know, because sometimes you can get an image, like he's got the thing by himself, you know. And, but here he is, uh, he's going down the road in this, this chariot, and it says, uh, and he's reading Isaiah the prophet, and here's the thing, he's not reading it to himself, and we can prove that here in a second. It seems that he's reading it out loud. He's reading Isaiah the prophet, verse 29, then the Spirit said to Philip. In other words, there might have been a voice he heard, maybe a prompting. He said, go near and overtake the chariot. The King James says it this way, go near and join yourself unto this chariot. In other words, you get up there and you stay locked. And that's where the sermon title comes from. You know, because sometimes we, God will deal with us to get near to somebody and hook up with somebody in the sense of, you know, be near them, be associated with them, listen to them. And, and so it says, so Philip ran to him and heard him reading. And the prophet Isaiah and said to him, so here's a thought that's of interest to me, that when Philip was being uh, guided here, he did some natural things. He had to use some own, of his own effort. He had to do something, you know, run. He might have thought, I ain't a runner. This is not comfortable. And, and so he exerted some energy. But one thing he did was he listened to what was going on. Sometimes if we would just slow down and listen to people, we would hear something from them. If we'll let them talk long enough, people will tell us things. And it may not be that they're reading the book of Isaiah, but we may hear the hunger in a person's heart. Maybe not everybody, but there are people who are hungry for the truth. And as we get closer to the end, there will be more junk that will happen. 
And we can see that just in our own society. That's a great formula for people to get distressed in, which is awesome in a bad way. Because you don't want people to be distressed, but at the same time, when people are under pressure, often they start looking for help. You know, like they say, you know, there are no atheists in a foxhole in war because all of a sudden you're encountering death all around you and there are bullets and uh, things happening. It's because of the pressure of the moment people start turning to God. All their arguments, okay, enough of the arguing. You know, when people get in a hard place, so we should be listening to people who are around us. We might find that there are fish to catch, but we may have only, or maybe we're not fishing, or maybe we're fishing for a fish that's just uh, not ready to bite. I, I've seen big fish. If you have ever fished and been able to see fish, sometimes the big fish are leery. And you got to catch them when they're hungry. Nobody knows what I'm talking about. I'll just keep going then. And so we just need to sometimes slow down and listen to the people who are around us. Hear what they're saying. Hear what they're saying. And um, I believe that that could help us. And so he, he heard him as he's running to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. And you know, this is the huge thing right here. This is, can be a leap for people when it comes to witnessing and sharing our faith. This that happened right here can be huge. Anybody who's ever witnessed or started witnessing or wanted to witness, but they didn't witness and didn't share, this right here is huge. You say, well, what's huge? It just said, and he asked Philip, or he, I'm sorry, he heard him reading, and then Philip said, do you understand what you're reading? Well, that's not a big thing. It's not a big thing. It's a tiny thing. It's not a big thing, but anybody who's ever witnessed knows there is that big thing. You say, what are you talking about a big thing? He just said, you know what you're reading? That's small. That's tiny. But anybody who has ever witnessed, at some point, you've realized there's a huge chasm. You know, a big opening in the ground. It feels like I've got to jump from here to there. In other words, it's that first initial, what am I going to say? But I have found this for anybody who will jump and make the statement, it's much easier once you've started talking. And then it becomes easy after that. Anybody who's ever witnessed or shared their faith knows that. It's that first step that's the big part. You know, in praying with people to get filled with the Spirit, I've prayed, you know, for believers to get filled with power. And, and be filled with the Spirit, and I've laid hands on them, and I know the biggest thing for them once they have knowledge is taking the first step and beginning to speak, as the Bible said. Opening their mouth, letting it come out, and start going. That's the big step. Once they do it, it's done. It's that first jump. And I'm telling you, when it comes to witnessing, he made just a simple statement. He said, do you know what you're reading? But once he cleared that, 
you know the, the door's open, it's rolling. And I know for believers, sometimes that can be a big thing. But I'd encourage you, start, and you'll find it'll, it'll go. You get what I'm saying? So here he is, and he said, do you understand what you're reading? He, he wasn't deep theological. He, he wasn't saying anything profound. He just said, do you understand? You know, sometimes we think we have to start the conversation with something big. You know, you know, but he made it real simple. And, and here it says, verse 31, and he said, how can I, in other words, understand, unless somebody guides me? In other words, I've not, I've been reading this, is there, I just need somebody to share with me. And you know, there's a huge truth. The world is dependent on a believer to share with them. The world is dependent on people who know the Lord to share. We can't say, you know, a few weeks ago, I quoted T.L. Osborne, the great world missionary, who said, you know, Christians have made God into their butler. They have said, go reach them, Lord, while I am here being blessed by you. But that's not how it works. God uses us. And he works through us, and the world is dependent upon us. We can pray for all the souls to be saved, but the world is dependent upon me, you, to talk. Isn't it so true, little kids, that just nobody can stop them from talking? They just seem to win people to the Lord. It's true for adults. Notice this. Verse 31, and he said, how can I unless one guides me? And he asked Philip, come up and sit with, me, or, and, and sit with him. Uh, so here's the thing. I think when we talk to people, we should be wise to how they're responding to us. Are they inviting you further? And we could be wise about this. And if they're inviting you to go further, be aware of that. And he, and obviously this is blatant, but when we're talking, when the door's open, it's worth continuing. Verse 32 uh, says this, uh, the place of the scripture uh, which he read was this, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken from him. And who will declare his generation? For his life was taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, isn't it cool they're having this conversation? Of whom or who does the prophet, meaning from this scripture, say this? Of himself or somebody else? He honestly didn't know the scriptures he was reading, but Philip knew the scriptures. He had an idea. He had a religious idea, but he really didn't know the way. And he asked Philip. He was open to it. And I'll tell you what. 
God will use any believer. The Bible said in 2 Corinthians 5.20, he said, God will plead through us. He depends on you, so he will work through you. If you would be open to the opportunity, God will plead through you. I've said this before in my own experience, and I'm sure it's true with other people. You know, you have an opportunity to witness, to share your faith with somebody, and all of a sudden, you know, you went in there like a dry cracker to talk, you know, you start talking, and after a few minutes, you start noticing God working, and by the time you get done, you think, man, I am blessed. God's moving all over me. This is awesome. This is why people who witness get addicted to it. There's, there's a blessing from God. God will plead through you. And I mean, I've left at times, and you know, you have to adjust your own mind about this because you get done and start thinking, woohoo, I'll tell you what. No, I'll tell you what. That was God, not you. He assisted you in it, and he'll assist anybody because the Bible said the responsibility of the believer is to reach, and he would plead through you. That means he will take your words and he, his power will be on those words, and they will affect the hearer. And that's what was happening here. And so verse 35 said, um, then Philip opened his mouth. In other words, he had this question. He had an open door. And so he, beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Because these scriptures were about Jesus. And it says, and as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Isn't it interesting that we hear a scripture about Jesus dying and who would share him and how he suffered for us. And in this, uh, his sermon was more than just the book of Isaiah. He had to tell him some different things. Obviously, water baptism was brought up. Because, you know, I mean, he must have been talking about this is a commitment. Jesus died. You can believe. You have to receive him. You need to commit to him with your whole life. He committed his whole life and he died. So this stuff had to be in what he was talking about. There had to be in what he was talking about, making a public confession, which we all know, if we read the scriptures, is the foundation, even before you get baptized. You have to receive the Lord. He doesn't just come in because you come to church. He doesn't just come in because you've been good. He doesn't just come into them because they're shaking their head. Oh, yes, well, you're preaching to them. I believe this. There has to be a belief in the heart. There has to be a declaration or a confession with the mouth of his lordship. So he is at this point, he's finished his preaching. And these are things we need to know. We need to tell people, hey, it's a commitment of your life to give your life to him, to receive him, be baptized. All these different things. Be committed in the church, but there's a fundamental thing that starts it all off, and it's a person receiving the Lord. And it says, um, see, here's water. What's, what hinders me from being baptized? In other words, 
is there any reason I can't be baptized because I see water? And he tells him exactly the order of how things have to go down. In other words, you can get baptized and you won't be saved. You can commit to church and you won't be saved. You could serve and give and die for the gospel and still not be saved. It comes down to this first part. Then Philip said to him, If you believe with all your heart, you may. Now we know all through the Bible or in the New Testament, one of the first or Old Testament prophets said concerning the day we live in that there whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved and that you must believe he died and rose again we see that in the New Testament so he said and we know he was reading scriptures about him dying so it had to have been explained he said if you believe with all your heart you may and notice what happened and he answered and said I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He believed it in his heart. He made a declaration with his mouth. He's now saved. He said, so he commanded the chariot to stand still. Well, if you're driving, you wouldn't command the chariot to stand still. You'd say, ho, or whoa, or stop. But obviously, he's, he's there, and he's in the back somewhere, and Philip is with him, and he commands the thing to stop. And it says, so he commanded the chariot to stand still. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. So they got out of the chariot, they went down into the water, and he baptized him. Anybody can baptize anybody, as long as they're saved. Now, when they came up out of the water... The Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. Think of this. Philip was told to walk and cruise down this street, highway, this way, down this desert road. And with no promise of you're going to encounter somebody who's going to have influence in a nation... If you'll just obey me, you're going to influence somebody. And so he's like, yeah, i got to go down that road. And you know what's so cool? As he's traveling down this road, he literally gets translated like 20-something miles away. He got caught up out of the water, and he, he didn't have to keep traveling once he did what he was supposed to do. Boy, wouldn't that be nice? This is real. It said he was translated. He just disappeared. I'll tell you what, that would have been the day, the day you got saved, the person you were, uh, you know, led you to the Lord. You get baptized in water and they disappear. Whoa. You know, I know a story about a, uh, a kid who had died in a tragic accident and his parents just kept mourning and mourning and mourning this kid's death. And they had not gotten over it. And it had been years and years. And they left the house uh, with all her, the pictures of this baby, a, a, a young child, a, a certain way. And uh, they even left the bedroom that way with the child's dolls and everything. And one day, a distinguished man came to the door and knocked on the door. And they opened up the door. 
And, and all of a sudden, this man just walked in, and they didn't say anything to him. And he walked down the hallway and went to this little desk thing or little whatever had a picture on it. And there was a picture of the child, and he just laid the, the picture down. And he walked through the whole house and knew where every picture was and just laid them all down. And then, uh, and they were like, whoa. And there was one hanging on the wall, took it off the wall and just laid it down. And walked back to the front door, walked out. They saw him take step, three steps down and disappear right in front of him. And they said, the Lord must have sent an angel. Maybe we should quit sorrowing and realize this person is ahead of us, not behind us. But I mean, an angel, boom. I mean, could you imagine? You're right here, and uh, he disappears. He wasn't gone from the earth. He was on to the next thing. What a tremendous thing. There's a pastor named Richard Wormbrand, I believe is how you pronounce his name. Some of you may know who he is. Um, he was a pastor in Romania at the end of World War II. And uh, he had... Uh, been thrown into prison. Russia had come into Romania in different countries, if you know a little bit about history. And at first, you know, they started, you know, atheism, because socialism and communism are mutual partners. Socialism that people call for is anti-God. And they came in and said, we're going to change the national religion and it's going to be atheism. You can't serve God. You can't do anything. And uh, this guy had a passion for lost people. And uh, he ended up getting thrown into prison there for 14 years for reaching people. And in his life story and in the movie, because there is a book, I believe it's called Suffering for Christ, and a movie about it, he said this. He said, every soul won for Christ must be made a soul winner no matter the cost. In other words, we should not just be made consumers for the things of God and just to enjoy blessings. We should enjoy, but every believer should be made a soul winner because God depends on every believer to reach people, not just to be a consumer. God wants you to consume and be blessed. He wants you to be influenced and live in a tremendous life full of his peace and his love and all these things. But at the same time, he wants every believer to be a soul winner. And this guy, when he says no matter the cost, you have to realize he was in prison for 14 years. They would put him in solitary confinement in a box for hours and days on end with sharp nails so he'd just have to stand. And all these different things. And he said this. When he talks about, you know, that everybody should be made a soul winner. That should be our goal. He didn't say that lightly. Because when he was in prison, he said, I had an agreement with the guards. And they had an agreement with me. And they did with the others. But they had one with me. He said, the agreement is, is it's illegal to preach and to pray. And I had an agreement with to them. And he said, my agreement was I was still going to pray and I was still going to preach. And their agreement with me was they would still beat me. 
And he said, at this time, he said, my feet have been so beaten, I can no longer walk normal. I was like, whoa, keep preaching. And he did. They would come to him at the time of prayer and watch and look into his cell and see him praying and say, are you, are you praying again? Or go in and hear him sharing and say, are you sharing again? And he would say yes, and they would take him and beat him. And they would take his feet and just beat him and beat him until he couldn't walk. But he said, I won't quit. This is only temporary. And uh, it's fascinating because what would we do to reach one person? Turn to Hebrews 13. Or I'm sorry, Hebrews 11. And we'll begin reading in the 37th and 38th verse. It says, they were stoned, talking about Christians. And really in the context, he's talking about everybody who will do whatever God asks. Who, who will just live for the Lord. And this kind of cuts into some of them were stoned with rocks. They were sawn in two. Uh... They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. These were people of faith who lived for God, some of them. And it just gives a big, long list. And this is the end of the list about people who obeyed God to save others, like Noah and the ark, or, or Abraham, or different ones who just lived for God to do God's will, and to do it while they were here on the earth. And he cuts in and finishes off about people who were stoned, who were tortured. It says, verse 38, of whom, of meaning of all these people, it says the world was not worthy of them. The world is not worthy of people who serve and obey God. That's what the Bible said. But isn't it interesting that God, even though he sees they're not worthy on their own, he asks us to love the world, share with them, and reach them, even though it says they're not worthy of us. God wants them to become one of us. It says this in Luke 10, and verse 2, it says talking about the harvest of lost people and people who don't know the Lord. It says the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. You know, I think sometimes if we don't realize, we look around and say, there's nobody out there to reach. Who do I know? He said there are few laborers, but tons of people to reach. There's tons of people who need to know the Lord. As a matter of fact, in these verses after, he said, pray that God would send others out besides you to get this harvest. And we know this in Matthew 24, and we're going to close with this verse. 24, 14, it says, This gospel of the kingdom must be preached as a witness to all nations, literally means all people groups, then the end will come. What we need to realize is, this has been on God's heart and God's mind since the beginning of the church. You know, because somebody said, well, when will this happen? When is the last days? Well, the Bible tells us when God poured out his spirit on all flesh, he said, 
this was the beginning of the last days. That's what it said. So the last days started at the beginning of the church until his second coming. And so all through that time, it's been on God's heart for us to reach all people. And all people. Until he comes back. In other words, there's not a better time than now. Now, I understand when we start seeing things happening in the earth, it can poke and prod you. You ever been driving down the freeway and you didn't care what lane you were in, but you knew, I'm getting closer. So you start looking for signs. The minute you start seeing signs and all of a sudden it says destination five miles, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But all of a sudden it says two, one, the closer you get and you're in the far left lane on a five lanes, you know, going down, you're going to start making adjustments. That's why signs are good. Seeing Israel to go back and become a nation is a prophecy Jesus talked about in Luke 21 and said it would be Jerusalem would be trampled under feet until the time the Gentiles are fulfilled. The Bible gives prophecies about them being called out of the north parts. And we start seeing these things happen in the 40s, 50s, 60s. Now Jerusalem now is the designated capital. We're heading down a highway. We should start realizing we're closer to the end than the beginning. And the signs are starting to dictate, start moving toward your exit. You may not be there for a while, but what he's saying is the time is short. Somebody said, oh, no, the time can't be that short. No, because Paul and different writers or James talked about his coming is near. So if it was near back then, it's nearer now. Period. It doesn't matter if, you know, if somebody says, well, I know the day or the, when it's this and that. I don't care what anybody says, we're getting closer. And, and if it's not the end of the world uh, in, a, in, you know, in our lifetime, it's the end of the world for those who are alive now. In other words, it's because the, they'll die and it'll be at the end of their time in this world. Whether the Lord comes back or not, so God depends on us. And he said, this gospel of the kingdom must be preached as a witness and he's going to use us. And I'm telling you, if we would do as he said and just learn to walk with him, it will be awesome awesome and it already is god looks at you as a worthy one 